Amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. I hope you are doing well today on this uh, nasty, rainy, cold day. Y'all thought spring was here yesterday. Just kidding. We're back to nasty Georgia winter, um, hopefully for not much longer. But anyways, it is it is a joy to be worshiping with you today. Thankful that you are here. But it's your first time. Just want to say a special welcome to you. Uh, we're excited uh, and honored that you would be our guest today, and we would love a chance to follow up with you, let you know how much we appreciate that. So if you do me a huge favor, you don't mind, before you head on today, stop by our welcome table right out here in the hallway. we got a free gift we'd love to give you. And also there's a welcome card if you could fill that out. Um, again, that just gives me an opportunity to reach out and say thank you for your visits. If you do me that favor, I would appreciate that. And church, we're going to continue on in our series that we've been calling Good News, looking at God's message to the world. This is week six, uh, our second to last Sunday in this series. Uh, we got one more week next week, and then and I'll, at that point, I'll let you know what we're doing next. But uh, today, we're going to be uh, week six of our Good News series, looking at what God's Word tells us about God. What does God want us to know about Him? What does He want us to know about His message to the world when we come to scripture, what we've been seeing is, is that God speaks good news into this broken, messed up, evil world where we just see so much of, of what's wrong. God's story, God's message tells us how, how he's going to make everything right. And it's all found in him. So we've been looking at this and, and we've been spending a good chunk of the last few weeks looking at salvation, right? God's good news of of him rescuing us. And that's that's the that's the incredible, the best news that we could ever hear, right? We we've talked about how, how we're sinners condemned before God, and yet God Himself saves us, gives his life in place of ours, rescues us, forgives us of all of our sins. That's the good news of salvation. And last week, we specifically talked about the doctrine of sanctification, what that teaches us about God's message, and that when God saves us, when he rescues us, he doesn't leave us unchanged, right? He changes everything about us, including the way we live. So sanctification, we said last week, starts with him making us new, this doctrine of regeneration, giving us life, where we were once dead in our sins, now we're made alive in Christ, and then he calls us and leads us to a new lifestyle in him. And throughout this series, we've been talking a lot about the work of God, right? The work of God in creation and salvation. We talked a lot about the work of Jesus Christ and, and how he, he lived a perfect life, gave his, his life on the cross. He died and then, then was raised again uh, from the grave. We talked a lot about the work of God, the Father, God, the Son. And today, I want us to spend some time talking about the work of God, the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk today about the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we come to Scripture... What we see is that God is revealed to us as, as a trinity. That's a word that's used by theologians, been used for, for centuries now. It's not a word that's found in your Bibles. You're not going to find the word a trinity in Scripture, but you do find a clear teaching of the trinity. So when we come to Scripture, what, what the Bible teaches us about who God is and how God exists, it tells us some things about God. It tells us that God has eternally existed as one God with three distinct persons, and each person is 100% fully God. That's what the Trinity means. Now, how all that makes sense, can't tell you. We're not fully meant to understand that. But what we do know from scripture is we have one God with three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and each one is 100% fully God sharing the same exact divine nature. So we don't have one God that kind of manifests itself or, or exists at certain times as the Father or as the Son or as the Spirit. And we don't have three separate gods, God the Father, God the Son, God the Son. We have, we have one God, three distinct persons, okay? So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I want to spend some time talking about the Holy Spirit today because I think 
at times, especially in, in a denomination like ours, Southern Baptist and more conservative churches out there, I think we, we tend to, uh, at times, maybe not intentionally so, but at times can, can neglect the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we, we talk about the Trinity as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures, or God the Holy Gospel, but that's not it. That, that's not what the Trinity is. It's, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So let's spend some time talking about the role of the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does in relation to God's story. What does God's message, God's word, teach us about the Holy Spirit? And again, just like with everything we've been doing, there's gonna be a high level over. We're not gonna be able to get into everything, all the nitty gritty, but, but just high level, what is the role of the Holy Spirit and, and what does he do in our lives. So for that, we're going to go back to the book of Romans. So we've been in Romans for the last few weeks. We've talked through Romans chapter three. Last week we were in Romans chapter six. Well, this week we are going to be in Romans chapter eight. So if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter eight, we're going to look at the first 17 verses. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. We got the verses right here. We also have Bibles on our table out there. Feel free to take one of those as our gift to you. So Romans chapter eight, starting in verse one, I'm going to read through verse 17. And it says this, Romans chapter eight says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. And the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So then brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, so there's a lot there, all right? That, that Romans 8 is one of the most theologically rich and deep chapters in, in all of the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament put together. Romans 8, it, it has some of the richest theology. So there's a lot here. We're not gonna be able to get into everything here, but, but we're gonna talk about specifically the Spirit's work in our lives. So Paul starts out these, these first three verses where Paul's talking about the, the law of the spirit, the law of flesh, all, all he's doing is recapping what he has spent seven chapters talking about so far is that, that we can't save ourselves, right? We can try to live according to the law, our good works. We can try to earn God's favor. We can try to earn righteousness, but we're, we're never going to get it. We are always going to fall short. 
And the law was never meant to save us. The law, what, it, what its purpose was, was to show us how sinful and wretched we are and how much we need Jesus to save us, how much we need God to rescue us. So that's what he starts out. These first three verses are Paul just kind of recapping. Here's what God does. He does the work, he saves you. And now he gives you the spirit so that you can follow him and walk in obedience to him. So that's where Paul is going here. So there's four things that we see about the Holy Spirit in this passage. Four things, that's where we're going today. Our first one, if you're taking notes, first one is this, the Holy Spirit lives in us. First thing that we see about the Holy Spirit is that he lives in us. That when Jesus saves us, when we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and lives in us. Or, or another uh, word that your, your translation might use is, is dwells within us. He dwells within us. This is what theologians call the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Look, look again at, at verses 9 through 11. 9 through 11 here, uh, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. I hope you're seeing some, some repetition going on here. That clues us in, man. This is, this is important. Just like all of us, when we repeat ourselves, it, it draws attention to what, what we're trying to say, right? So that's what Paul's doing here. Three times in these three verses, Paul says the Spirit does what? Lives in us. Lives in us. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So the definition for that, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the constant presence of the Holy Spirit in the heart and life of believers. It's the constant presence of the Holy Spirit in the heart and lives of believers. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you've trusted in him, that's what we've been talking about, right? You, you trust in Jesus for salvation, you put your faith in him, the Holy Spirit comes in and lives within us. He indwells us. And this happens the moment that we put our faith in Jesus. This is what Acts 2.38 says. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That, that's salvation. That's, we, we put our faith in Jesus. We repent of our sins. We trust in him. We, we go to him for salvation. We are saved. Our sins are forgiven. And what happens next after that? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So as soon as we put our faith in Jesus, as soon as we trust in him for salvation, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within us. And he does this through what we talked about last week, the act of regeneration. This is what Titus 3.5 says. It says, he saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done. So this is what we've been talking about. We can't save ourselves. It's not based on our works, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So we talked about last week, this, this act of regeneration, where when we put our faith in Jesus, we're made new, we're made a new creation, we're, we're given new life, right? We were dead in our sins and now we're alive in Christ. That, that act of regeneration, it's the Holy Spirit that does that. The Holy Spirit makes us alive, makes us new, and then he, and then he sets up residence within our lives. That's what that means. So I don't know about you, but I, I grew up in church going to like, you know, VBS and, and kids camp and, and kids church. And what, what they always talk about, they always talk about, like, ask Jesus into your heart. Jesus wants to live inside you. He wants to, he wants to live in you. And, and sometimes we're like, oh, that's just, you know, what we say to little kids. No, that, that, that's from the Bible. That's, this is what we're talking about. When we say Jesus wants to live in our hearts, when, when he wants to, when we ask Jesus to, to come into our hearts, like this, this is what we're talking about. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
He dwells within us. He lives within us. He sets up residence in our hearts and lives. I love how 1 Corinthians 3.16 puts it. He says, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you? We're God's temple. And I think that's, that's a perfect analogy that the New Testament uses about the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Now, if you remember our, our first week in this series where, where we went all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, when we looked at creation and how God created this perfect world, and then he created mankind, man and woman, to, to be made in his image and, and to have this perfect relationship and dwell with his people, his creation in complete perfection. That's, that's how God started things out. That's Genesis 1 and 2. And then sadly, we see in Genesis 3 that all of that gets broken through sin, right? Adam and Eve sin, they reject God, and, and now, now they're separated from God. Now sin is in the world and, and it breaks everything. And what we've been saying throughout this series is, is everything from that point on, from Genesis 3 on, through the rest of history, through the rest of your Bible, is all about us going back to Genesis 1 and 2. It's all about God reversing what happened in Genesis 3 to bring us back to Genesis 1 and 2. So something that, that broke in Genesis 3 is our relationship with God. No longer were, could we dwell with God the way he wanted, the way he designed us. Sin has separated us. So through Jesus, we're, we're reconciled, we're brought back to God. But now we're seeing that, that he dwells within us. And this is a beautiful picture of what, what God's been doing, again, since Genesis 3. So when, when sin separates us from God, God doesn't like that. He wasn't content to just have sin separate us forever. So God created these systems in the Old Testament to be able to dwell with his people. We see this with the tabernacle, with, uh, with the Ark of the Covenant, with the sacrificial system. God put these in place so that he could have some of his presence with his people. And I love when, when you look at how the tabernacle was built and, and when it was finished and they had the section in the middle where the Ark was and that's where God's presence was and when they finished it and, and they dedicated it. And it says that, that God's glory came down and smoke filled the entire place. That was a symbol of, of God's presence is here. But as, as we've seen, as we've talked about, that doesn't mean direct access. People couldn't just, you know, whenever they wanted to walk into the presence of God because God's presence cannot be in the presence of sin. So if someone just random Israelite walked into the Ark of the Covenant, they'd be dead, drop dead. You can't just, just walk into God's presence like that. There were, there were limitations to God's presence. So we set up, again, the sacrificial system, the high priest, the priestly system, where the high priest, one day a year, day of atonement, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, where they could enter into the presence of God. But in order to do that, they had to go through this huge ritual process to make themselves clean before they entered. And if they didn't do that, boom, they'd be dead too. If they missed the day of atonement and they went in the next day, like, oh man, I overslept. I missed the whole thing. Guys, we got to do this over again the next day. Boom, they'd be dead. So God's presence was there but it was limited. Access was limited. And now when, when the New Testament says that we are God's temple, now the access is, is, is full access. There, there's no limitations. There's no barriers. The presence of God is dwelling within us. That's why this, this doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is so incredible and so amazing. Now God's presence isn't, isn't far off. It isn't separated by big curtains and, and rituals and a process to get there. It's not limited to one day a year. No, no, we, we have access to God all the time because the spirit of, of God himself, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. We are God's temple. So now God is, is dwelling with us. 
So the Spirit lives in us, first thing we see. The second thing that we see here is the Holy Spirit guides us in righteousness. The Holy Spirit guides us in righteousness. Look at verses 12 through 14. Holy Spirit guides us in righteousness. Verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. So we see throughout the New Testament, there's this contrast between flesh and spirit, living according to the flesh, living according to the spirit. So the way Paul, especially, he's the one that does this a lot. And as, as we see here, there's, there's living according to the flesh, which is, which is sin. So we can live according to our flesh, we can live according to our sin. And, and we all get that, right? Even though uh, believers in the room here, we, we've put our faith in Jesus, we've trusted in Jesus. He's made us positionally righteous through justification, right? All of our sins are forgiven. Doesn't mean that we live a perfect life, right? I won't make you raise your hands, but we can all safely admit that, that there are still times that we struggle with sin. We struggle to walk in the spirit. We struggle to follow Jesus. There are times where we do live according to the flesh. So there's this battle within us that we can live according to the flesh or live according to the spirit. So the flesh is sin and and living according to the spirit is following God's ways, walking in obedience to him. That's what we talked about last week with sanctification, that we are to walk in righteousness, we're to follow God's ways, we're to walk in active obedience to Jesus. That's living in the spirit, that's walking in the spirit. Now, where we kind of get this wrong is, is we try to do this in our own strength. We try to do this on our own. We try to say, okay, well, I just gotta, you know, I just gotta try really hard. I gotta give a lot of effort. I gotta, you know, that's what the Bible says. You gotta discipline yourself for godliness. Yes, it does say that, but we're not meant to rely on our own strength. God doesn't do the heavy lifting and heavy work of saving us and then say, all right, go, go along and just figure it out yourself. No, that's not, that's not how it works. If we're going to walk in the spirit, we have to rely on the spirit strength and not our own. And that's what Paul says here. Verse 14, we are to be led by the spirit. We're to be led by the spirit. And that word that Paul uses for led, to be led by the Spirit, it gives this idea of this ongoing leading by the Spirit. It's something that happens every moment of every day. Every moment, every minute of every day, we have to say, you know what? Not not by my strength, not by my own effort. I'm going to rely on the Spirit. I'm going to look to the Spirit. I'm going to follow the Spirit. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. It's trusting the Spirit to lead us and guide us to live the life that God wants us to. So to be led by the spirit. And three ways here that I want to point out real quick, three three ways that the spirit leads us in righteousness. Three ways the spirit leads us in righteousness. One, he convicts us of sin. He convicts us of sin. Now, typically, typically when we do something wrong, when we do something we're not supposed to, we should feel bad about it. We should have some level of remorse about the decision that we made. We, we should feel bad. Now, now we, we don't always feel bad, or maybe we don't always feel bad right away, but we should feel some sort of remorse when we mess up, when we do something we know we're not supposed to do, when we sin against God or we sin against each other. And we see this clearly with, with kids. So I, I've got three kids, a seven-year-old, a six-year-old, and, and now a two-year-old. And, uh, and I can pretty much tell at this point uh, when they're actually sorry for what they've done, right? So you can kind of tell, especially like when, if you have kids later, or you've 
you know, been a parent for a number of years, you can tell like when, when it's, hey, you did something wrong, I caught you, you need to say sorry, or, you know, you did something to your brother or sister, you need to say sorry, and it's the, sorry. I said it. What? Well, you, you want more than that? I said it. All right. So you can kind of you can kind of tell with the attitude uh, of whether or not there's there's actual remorse there. Are you are you actually sorry, or are you sorry you just got caught? Are you sorry for the consequences? Even when there's tears now, even when they're crying because they got in trouble, like I can tell. Are these tears of of genuine remorse? Like, do you actually feel bad, or are you crying because you got a consequence because you got in trouble because because you, you got caught? Right. So the, sometimes we, we feel bad, and 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 sometimes we we like really feel bad. So uh, Myla, our two-year-old, she doesn't hide it at all. Like there's no guessing with her. If she's actually remorseful, she'll let you know. If she's not, she'll let you know. So the other day um, we have this, uh, this gas log fireplace in our living room and it's got these little like black pebbles kind of at the bottom of it. And she likes to pick those up and throw them around the house. So, you know, when we're going, I don't know, we don't do that. We don't do that. And I was sitting right next to her the other day, right next to the fireplace. She's starting to reach her hand and I go, Myla, we don't, we don't do that. No, 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 we don't do that. Don't do that. And she gave me a little smirk and grabbed some and then threw them. She's like, girl, what is wrong with you? I just told you no. I just told you no. And she's like laughing at me. And Kendra's in the room. And she's like, Milo, we don't do that. You need to tell daddy sorry. Sorry for doing that. Daddy's cleaning up your mess. You don't do that. Tell daddy sorry. She goes, no, sorry, daddy. No, sorry, daddy. She was not sorry at all. And then the, the other night, another thing that, that she does as you're trying to get, I don't know what it is when, when kids, like when it's time to get ready for bed, that's when, at least my kids, it's just like full chaos. It's like, oh, it's time to calm down. and be, Let me run around the house like a crazy person. That's what happens in our house, at least. So Myla is no different. We, we bathe her at the end of the night and we start to get her dressed for bed. And she does this thing where she'll like try to kick you with her legs and she thinks it's hilarious and it's not at all funny. So we've been trying to work with her like, don't kick while you're trying to get your diaper on. Like, that's not fun. So she was doing that to me the other night and, and she's kicking me and I'm trying to get her diaper on and I'm telling her, you gotta stop that you gotta stop that and she's got this little stuffed animal llama that she carries around 24 7 it's it's her favorite little thing and I said if you if you keep doing that I'm gonna I'm gonna take llama away from you and then she laughed and and she kicked me again so I took llama away and then she starts crying and again Kendra's right there with her she's like Miley you need to say sorry you need to start and she got like really mad and I was like Miley you, you need to say sorry and she so I I, I try to change her diaper again and I'm, and I'm trying to put the diaper on and then she takes her and she whacks my arm so clearly, not sorry at all. And finally, she did apologize. But that's sometimes how, how we are with sin, right? Sometimes we're, we're truly remorseful. And sometimes we, man, we feel the weight of our sin. And we're like, man, I can't believe it. We, we're just broken over. Like, that's the work of the conviction. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. This is how uh, Jesus puts it in, in John 16. He says, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor or the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, here's what he's going to do. He's going to convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Part of the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us. So when we are remorseful, when we are actually broken over our sin and, and not like my daughter where it's, no, I'm not sorry. When we're actually broken, and that, that's the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. He is convicting us of sin, awakening us to our sin. And that, that conviction is given to us to bring us back to God. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 through 10. He says, I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. So when we stumble, when we fail, when we sin, 
we've got we've got two options, and, and we we feel that way. Like we do something wrong, and we and we we immediately feel bad, or we feel that 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 grief, as Paul calls it, that 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 guilt, that regret, whatever feeling you want to put on sorrow, whatever it is. Like we we feel bad. We've got two options. We can have worldly grief or godly grief. And worldly grief looks a lot like my kids. Like I'm I'm sorry I got caught. Or, oh, I'm sorry that you misunderstood. I'm sorry that I offended you. I'm not really sorry for what I did. I'm just sorry for you taking it the wrong way. Like, that's what that means. That's not really an apology. That's just, I'm sorry that something happened with you, but I'm not really sorry. Like, so we're, we're sorry, but not really. Or another way that, that we see it is, is with just kind of downplaying our sins. So like, we know we messed up, but we don't like that feeling of conviction. We don't like that feeling of sorrow. So we're going to downplay it. We're going to explain it away. We're going to pretend like it's not that big of a deal. Um, so that's another way worldly grief happens or, or another way is, is we, we do feel really bad. We feel really broken, but we, but we sit in that, in that feeling and we stay in this, this self-pity mindset. And we just sit in this and like, we just, we just lose ourselves in the guilt and the shame of, oh, I'm a terrible person. I'm awful. I can't believe it. And we just, we stay there. It doesn't lead to change. We just, we stay there and, and we just feel really sorry for ourselves. And we don't really do anything beyond that. Though that that's worldly grief. That's not driving us back to God. See, God sends the Holy Spirit to convict us, to bring that, that sorrow, that regret, that feeling of guilt so that we'll run back to God. Because here's what God does. This is, God's grace is conviction. Like God sends this conviction, this feeling of just, oh, I can't believe I messed up. Like that feeling that we get, that's God's grace and work in our lives. Because here's what he's doing. He knows that sin is the worst possible path we can be on, that it only leads to death and destruction and despair and brokenness and, and just on and on. He knows that. So he convicts us, he awakens us to that, to call us back to his ways, to call us back to the path of life. It's God's work in our lives. And we need to respond to that conviction, to that feeling when we mess up by running back to Jesus. By, by showing true change, right? Not just sorry that I got caught, but I'm, but I'm truly remorseful and, and, and it leads me to repentance. It leads me to change. This is what we see with the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son just, you know, we don't even know the list of sins that that guy got into, but just, just ruining his life left and right, finds himself just in the muck with the pigs and finally he's awakened to it. And he could have stayed in that. He could have, you know, just whatever, I'll get past this, no big deal. Uh, he could have just stayed in self-pity, whatever it is. No, but he said, you know what? I'm going back home. I'm going back home. That's sorrow that leads to repentance. And that's exactly the picture that Jesus wants us to have in our minds. When we feel that weight of our sin, it's not meant to bring us back to condemnation. As Romans 8 says, there is no one to condemn us. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He doesn't do this to condemn us and to heap a bunch of guilt and shame on us. No, he does it to call us back to him. That's the point of conviction. All right, so the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Second thing the Holy Spirit does to lead us in righteousness is the Holy Spirit teaches us God's truth. Teaches us God's truth. This is what John 16 says. As again, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own. He will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Again, before that in John 14, Jesus says this, I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. 
part of the Holy Spirit's job is to teach us God's truth. And the primary way God wants us to learn his truth is through his word. It's through his word. This is why studying scripture is, is so, so important. And we've been talking about this Bible study that we're going to do hopefully soon, as soon as I find a place for us to meet, uh, we're going to do this Bible study that, that teaches us how to understand, rightly interpret, and rightly apply God's word to us. This is vital for our growth. This is so important for us. And look, I get it. Some places are confusing and you're like, man, I don't know what this is saying. I, and and I, not much, like I, not only do I know, know what it's saying, I, I certainly don't know how to actually walk in obedience to it or what it's trying to teach me about how to live for Jesus right here and right now. Like this is so important. I get it. Sometimes it's, it's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to teach us God's word, to help us rightly understand God's word. Rely on the Spirit. When you open up the scriptures, we should come, Holy Spirit, teach us, enlighten us, illuminate God's word for us. And, and he does, he delights in doing that. That's why this is so important. The Holy Spirit helps us understand God and his truth. Another way the Holy Spirit guides us in righteousness is the Holy Spirit bears fruit in our lives. The Holy Spirit bears fruit in our lives so another way the, the Bible talks about following Jesus is with this analogy of fruit. You know, if we follow Jesus, if we follow Jesus, then, then we're going to bear good fruit, right? That's what the Bible talks about. If we follow Jesus, we're going to be like a tree that, that bears good fruit. When we don't follow Jesus, when we follow sin instead, we'll be like a tree that either doesn't bear fruit at all or bears bad fruit, right? Like the point of an apple tree is to bear apples. If an apple tree is not bearing apples, it's not, it's not doing its job. It's not doing what it was supposed to do. Or if an apple tree bears bananas, you're like, no, that's not an apple tree. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to make bananas. You're supposed to make apples. So when we follow Jesus, we are supposed to bear fruit that looks like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit helps us do that. This is what Galatians 5 says. Galatians 5, 22 through 25 says, but the, spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit, this, this idea of, of bearing fruit, and that, that's what the Spirit does in our lives. The Spirit bears fruit of righteousness. And the more we follow the Spirit, the more we walk in line with the Spirit, the more we'll be like Jesus, the more we'll bear fruit to look like Jesus. And same as true, the, the less we do that, the less we'll look like Jesus. So we talked about last week, we don't just drift into holiness. It's not like we just don't do anything in our relationship with Jesus. And then one day we wake up and we're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm living in righteousness. I'm more like Jesus. No, it doesn't work like that. We don't drift towards holiness. We drift away from holiness. So we need to walk with the Spirit. The more we follow the Spirit, the more we trust in the Spirit, the more we rely on the Spirit, the more fruit we're going to bear, the more we'll look like Jesus, the more we'll be able to walk in the life that he has for us. That's what Paul says in, in verse five. Go back to Romans eight, verse five. Paul says, for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. So if we're going to live according to the Spirit, if we're going to bear fruit, according to the Spirit, we have to set our minds on the Spirit. Like that, that's how, that's how this, this works, right? When we, whatever we act out, whatever we do in life comes from what we believe and what we know. It starts in our mind, it starts in our hearts, and then it filters out to our actions. 
Everything I do can be traced back to what I believe or don't believe about something. So it's the same with following Jesus. If I'm going to follow Jesus, if I'm going to walk in the spirit, it starts with my mind. It starts with setting my mind on the things of God, setting my mind on the things of the spirit, centering my thoughts and my heart and my desires on Jesus and, and his word and his spirit. It starts there. And then it'll filter down into our actions. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit leads us in this process. So Holy Spirit leads us in righteousness. And then number three, number three, the Holy Spirit reminds us of who we are. The Holy Spirit reminds us of who we are. Look again at verses 15 through 17 of Romans 8 here. Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So it says here that the spirit testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. When God saves us, there's this beautiful thing that happens and that he, he adopts us into his family. He brings us into his family. We put our faith in Jesus. Part of that salvation includes being brought in to God's family as his child. So as it says here, we, we are now children with God and we are co-heirs with Christ. Now this tells us two things. It tells us two things. One, it tells us who God is. It tells us who God is. And, and that is, he's my father. God is my father. And look, I get it. When I, when I say that, sadly, some of you might think of your earthly father who was not a good person, who did not treat you well, who did not care for you the way a father should. And so maybe you have these ideas of a father and it's somebody who is abusive, somebody who neglects, somebody who doesn't care about you, doesn't care for you, doesn't provide, abandons you doesn't want to have anything to do with you, disinterested. Maybe, maybe we have some of those ideas. And I get it. Uh, th th that, that can be painful. Our parents, that's one of the things I've learned as a parent quickly early on, is you can do real damage to your children. We can. That's a weight that we have to carry. So it might bring up some bad thoughts, but, but we need to remind ourselves, man, God is nothing like our sinful and broken earthly fathers. He's nothing like that. He's a perfect father a good father and an always good father who always loves his kids, who's always there for his kids, who never turns his back, who always wants to bless and provide and give a bunch of good things to his kids, which is us. That's God. He is a good father, always good, always loving, always there for us. That's who God is. He's our father. Number two, this also tells me who I am. So it tells me who God is. And it also tells me who I am, that I am God's child. I'm God's child. And it's more than that, right? Like Paul doesn't just say you're God's child. What else does he say? He says that you're a co-heir with Christ. That is an incredible truth, y'all. We are not just some, you know, cast off that that's brought into God's family and, and treated as a, as a second or third class member of the family. That's not what happens. When God brings us into his family, he makes us co-heirs with Christ which means that everything that Jesus claims as his belongs to us as well. And that's everything. 
That's everything. That's what the Bible tells us, that, that Jesus right now is over everything. Everything belongs to him. He has full authority over everything. And as a co-heir, that means I do too. I am a full member of God's family, co-heirs with Christ, fully God's child. That I'm forever God's child. This is not a conditional thing that happens. It's like, well, you're God's child one minute, and then as soon as you mess up, well, you're not God's child anymore. No, when he adopts us, it, it's forever. It's a done deal. It's just like when, I, when we adopted our son. We adopted our son, Zayden, and, and that's not a conditional adoption. When the judge said, this is done, I meant it was done. He is forever our child. He's forever our son. There's nothing he could ever do or say or, or want to do that, that could ever change that. He is fully our child. And it's the same when, when Jesus brings us into his family. When God adopts us, we are fully his child. It's not conditional. We're fully his. We're always loved. We're always a child. We, we always have access. That's one of the things I, I love about my kids. As they're getting older, we're trying to teach them, like when a door is shut, you, you knock on the door, but they don't, they don't get that. They're still young. I mean, they, they can, they'll barge into our room at any moment, at any point in the day. And I, and I love that because there's no fear of them approaching their parents. They know, man, that I've got access anytime I want to my mom and dad. I can always come. I can always draw near. I can always come close. It's the same with us and God. And that's, here's the thing. God wants us to. Like, we're not the annoying child that's like, oh God, here, I'm coming with more prayer requests. Like, no, God doesn't see it like that. He's like, no, please come, come to me, draw close, draw near. It's commands that are given throughout the Bible of draw near to God. Bring your stuff to God. Bring your troubles, your burdens, your requests. Bring it all to God. He wants that. He loves that. So as God's child, we have, we have access. And as God's child, I, I don't have to earn my place. I don't have to prove my worth. It's just like my kids. My kids don't have to prove their value in the house. They don't have to prove their worth. They don't have to do certain things to, to remain a child or remain a child in good standing. Like that's not how it works. They don't have to earn their place in the family. They don't have to earn their keep. They don't have to earn my love. It's the same with God. We don't have to earn our place. We don't have to prove our worth and our value to God. And what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit reminds us of that truth. He testifies to that is what the Bible says, what we just read. He testifies that truth. He reminds us constantly that we are God's child. And y'all, we need to listen. We need to listen. Because too often, I think we, we treat ourselves and we, we act as if we're just some unwanted guest in God's family. That God doesn't truly care about us. He doesn't truly love us. He doesn't truly want us here. Or we act as if, you know, we're, we're always on thin ice, right? That, that it's that, you know, well, as my mom used to say, like, when your dad gets home, you're going to really be in trouble. Like, that's kind of how we, we view God, right? Like, well, hey, man, it, once he finds out what I did, I'm going to be in real trouble. Well, here's the thing. God already knows. He already knows. He's God. He already knows what you did or didn't do. He already knows that. And guess what? He still says, I love you. I've forgiven you. I want you to draw close. I want you to be here with me. We're not some unwanted guest. We're not somebody who's, who's just at the last minute always going to just be in trouble, right? Like that's not how God sees us and the Holy Spirit testifies to this truth. We need to pay attention. So the Holy Spirit reminds us of who we are. And number four, and we'll, we'll end here. The Holy Spirit brings us to glorification. The Holy Spirit brings us to glorification. Let's look at how this ends. 
Verse 17 again, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. This idea of, of glorification, that is our promised end. That's where we're headed. That's where we're going. We will end with glorification. And that, that idea of glorification, we see this also in verse 30. I don't have it for the screens, but if you just skim down in chapter eight, verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called, and those who he called, he also justified, and those who he justified, he also glorified. So that idea of glorification points to our ultimate end, that one day we will spend eternity with Jesus in complete perfection and the new heavens, new earth with perfectly glorified bodies. That's our promised end. And that's how we're going to end next week. That's where we're going to end this sermon is talking about that wonderful truth. So make sure you're here next week for that. But, but for this time, what, what we see from the Holy Spirit is he's the one that brings us to that point. He's the one that brings us to glorification. This is how Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 puts it. It's one of my favorite two verses. It says, in him, you are also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So there's two things that we're told here about the Holy Spirit. One, he seals us. And this idea of being sealed by the Holy Spirit is, is it's this, this covering, this protective covering over us when we, when we put our faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption, until the promised glorification. So what that means is, you know, when you have like a pill bottle, like you buy some Advil, Tylenol from the store, whatever it is, when you, when you open the lid the first time, what's on top? There's a seal, right? It's an airtight seal. And that the point of that seal is to protect what's inside, to preserve the integrity of what's inside that bottle. So it doesn't get corrupted. So it doesn't mess up. So it doesn't degrade, right? That seal protects and seals it in, locks it in, preserves it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He is our seal of our salvation. He seals us and protects us. So he's our seal. It also says that, that he's our down payment. Another word for that is guarantee. So God guarantees our eternity. He guarantees eternal life and, and his down payment towards that, his proof of that guarantee is the Holy Spirit in our lives. So look, I, I know that there, there are some believers, some churches out there that, that will teach that you can lose your salvation. You can lose your salvation. Well, just, just to be clear where, where I land on that is I don't believe that's what scripture teaches. I don't believe that's what scripture teaches because look, y'all, if we could lose our salvation, we would. We would probably multiple times a day. But where I land is if we didn't do anything to earn our salvation, we can't do anything to lose our salvation. And that's what we see here with the Holy Spirit sealing us and guaranteeing salvation and protecting and preserving us. That's what he does. He ensures the promise that's coming to us. God says, when you put your faith in me, you have eternal life. And the Holy Spirit is like, yep. And I'm gonna make sure you get there. I will bring you to that point. So we say the Holy Spirit seals us and, and protects us. And look, here, here's why he does that. It is, God wants us to have assurance. I don't think the point of, of the New Testament, the point of scripture is that we should, you know, have this fear of all the time of, man, what, what am I going to do to make God mad at me today? Like we don't need to live in fear. In fact, that's what Paul says. He didn't give us a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We don't have fear. And, and, and I think sometimes we take these warning passages that we see even even here of, you know, verse, uh, verse eight, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Like we see these warning passages like, hey, don't live in sin. Don't chase after your sin. Don't follow sin because it doesn't please God. That, that you know, if you continue on sinning, then that, that 
shows you don't have Jesus. And I think we, we take that as, as these warning passages that, that lead us to fear. And instead, what they should do is remind us of, of the better ways of God, that God has a better way, that God wants us to live not in sin and death, but, but in his light, in his truth, in his ways, and in his life. That's what he wants for us. So we're not meant to live in fear. First John 5, 12 through 13 says, the one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you may guess, not so that you may wonder, not so that you may be unsure. So that you may know. God wants us to have assurance. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He provides that assurance. So when Jesus promises that when we put our faith in him, that we have eternal life, the Holy Spirit is the one that makes sure we get there. And he does. He seals us. He guarantees us. He protects us. And he gives us assurance. So the Holy Spirit is active and present all all throughout God's word. We're just scratching the surface of all that the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Like I've just given you a high level overview of some things. There's so much more here. He is active. He's active and present in in everything. He's active in God's creation. He's active in God's redemption. He's active in our salvation. He's active in our sanctification. He's active in our glorification. He's active in, in every moment, every minute of every day. The Holy Spirit is active in our lives, calling us to this life in the Spirit, calling us to the ways of Jesus. As believers in the room, let's, let's look to him. Let's rely on him. In a minute, we're going to transition in, into worship and communion like we do every single Sunday here. So I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And this is a time for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, the believers in the room. This is time for us to reflect on Jesus, to remember all that he's done, to worship and praise him, to, to maybe spend some time in prayer with him. Maybe it is that, that you've been feeling that, that weight of conviction. And today was a reminder of the reason we feel that is to drive us back to God. Or maybe we've been living in, in fear. We've been living in our guilt and in this self-imposed condemnation. And we just need to remember what the spirit testifies to us, that we are God's child, that we are forever loved, forever accepted by Jesus Christ. So wherever you're at today, let's spend some time in prayer, reflecting on who Jesus is, on what he's done for us. Let's praise him. Let's worship him. Let's go to the tables on either side where we we take the bread, we, we take the cup, we eat and drink and remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he gave his life for us. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, then this time isn't for you, but, but it can be. It can be. The, the, this call to salvation is open to anyone who would call on the name of the Lord. That's what Romans 10, 13 says. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Put your faith in Jesus. Stop living in sin. Stop chasing after destruction. That's not what God wants for you. It's not why he made you. He wants to dwell with you, to be with you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you the promise of eternal life. And the only way to that is Jesus. Put your faith in him. If you're here and you're, you're interested in that and want to know more, I'll, I'll be in the back during this time. I'd love to talk with you 
more about than anybody here, really. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, answer any questions you may have, and, and celebrate with you when, when you do put your faith in Jesus. Let me let me pray for us, church, and we'll, we'll transition. Jesus, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you for all that you've done in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the work of the Spirit. Jesus, it's always incredible to me to look back at your words in John 16, where you say that, that it's better for you to go. It's better for you to go so that we can have the Spirit. Thank you for the gift of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you, thank you for making us new. Thank you for leading us in this path of, of righteousness. Lord, thank you for leading us in this path uh, that we're to walk. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your help. We need your strength. We need your guidance. We need your illuminating power to teach us the things of God. Holy Spirit, awaken our hearts to you. Spirit, would you do just an incredible work in this body of believers? Would you, would you, would you renew us? Would you... Lord, make us just on fire for you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you do that work? Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for your salvation, for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. God, we, we lift high your name. We praise you and thank you for who you are and all that you've done. It's your name we pray. Amen.